WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. There are many difficulties that individuals with disabilities face, especially whenever it comes to transportation. We were here to talk to Paige Quartz about her research on the reality of traveling with a disability. Paige, can you please introduce yourself for us and tell us about your research? My name is Paige Quartz. I work in a biomechanics lab on campus, and my current project is documenting the issues individuals with physical disabilities face when it comes to transportation. We also look at their perception on the use of autonomous vehicles as a possible solution to the issues that they might face. Nice to meet you, Paige. Thanks for joining us. To start things off, could you describe to our audience what autonomous vehicles are? An autonomous vehicle is a vehicle that can drive itself independently of a human operator, so you don't necessarily need a person sitting in the driver's seat. And we've seen a lot of technology that's semi-autonomous, so things like cars that alert you when you're getting too close to the side of a lane, Even backup cams can be considered semi-autonomous. Some cars know how to park themselves. Really, it's any car that operates without a driver. Nowadays, vehicles are equipped with so many different things that could help us with safety. For example, if you're swerving off the lane, your car can guide it back into the lane. Even cruise control has a radar where people can detect how far the car is from the other one and then cruise accordingly with the distance. There are many different features now in autonomous vehicles that could help assist individuals with disabilities. I'm wondering specifically, what are you studying with autonomous vehicles and those with disabilities? My lab has a survey out right now, actually, that is looking broadly at issues with transportation for individuals with physical disabilities. And when focusing specifically on autonomous vehicles, We're trying to gauge the interest and just sort of the thoughts that people have about using autonomous vehicles. Questions like, do you think an autonomous vehicle is safe? What sort of features would you need to make an autonomous vehicle accessible to you? Things that are geared both broadly in the sense of autonomous vehicles, but also specifically for individuals with physical disabilities. So these are features that might not necessarily be only in an autonomous vehicle, But if we were to, say, design an autonomous vehicle, what are the features that you would want to see to improve your experience with them? It's great that you're getting the perspective of people whose voices are often unheard when companies are considering new options for transportation, besides the basic ADA guidelines. Could you tell us about the ways that people with disabilities get around now since these autonomous vehicles aren't widely available yet? The really flashy part of the survey is the portion about autonomous vehicles, but the first portion of it really focuses on the question that you asked. How do people with physical disabilities get around and what are the issues that they face when it comes to their current mode of transportation? So in our survey, we asked what the most common mode of transportation that they use is, and we found that 57% of the respondents said that a family or friend's vehicle was the main way that they get around, followed pretty closely by taking public transport with some sort of caregiver. And several people, you know, did indicate that they could drive themselves, but there were issues that come along with that, such as having to have a specialized vehicle or having pain or discomfort while driving because 
the default settings in the vehicle aren't very comfortable if you have a physical disability. Buying a car is a very stressful process, and cars are very expensive nowadays. I can imagine it would be even more expensive for individuals with disabilities. When customizing a specialized vehicle for the pain and comfort settings, do dealerships do this for the individual, or do they have to go elsewhere after they purchase the vehicle? It really depends on the person. A fair number of people indicated in the short answer section of our survey that they have made modifications to their vehicle themselves whether it be an ergonomic cushion that they put on the chair or mounting a GPS to their car that maybe wasn't there at the dealership. I imagine that there are places that may specialize in adding these features onto cars, but they certainly would be expensive. And so one of the things that we hope is that autonomous vehicles could be not only a car or an Uber-like service, but maybe we could make autonomous buses and have something that really is widely accessible and hopefully not too expensive as this technology, you know, is researched more and more. Hopefully we can bring the cost down on that. Well, there's clearly a lot of different options that people can pursue to fit their needs depending on their disability. When you were distributing the survey, was there a specific group of disabilities that you wanted to study or was it open to any kind of disability page? The qualifying question that we had at the very beginning of our survey uh, was for eligibility, and we were specifically looking for individuals who had a physical disability that made it difficult to travel, to go to work, to go to medical appointments, go shopping, things like that, just because that's a group that our lab is pretty familiar with. Some of my other peers have done work with the Adaptive Sports Club on campus, So we were focusing specifically on physical disabilities, disabilities that affected physical aspects of their body. We had visual hearing disabilities included, ambulatory disabilities. We also did include cognitive disabilities for those who had traumatic brain injury or other uh, neurological disorders that affected their physicality. It's great that you were able to survey a wide range of people. However, with your questions, you're asking people about their pain and comfort settings and what do they think would make a vehicle safe. Whenever you've gathered all the data from these surveys, do you categorize the data based off of the individual disability or do you look at it as a whole? We actually do both. So at first we were interested in just the general overall views and issues as a whole. And then we realized as we were looking at this data that there probably would be some differences across disability. And so we broke a few select questions down into disability type. And while most of the time there wasn't a huge difference, there were some differences between disability groups. For example, cognitive disability groups and ambulatory disability groups often had pretty different opinions of different issues they had or different opinions on autonomous vehicles. You bring up a great point that people with different disabilities will have different needs when it comes to travel. Across the board, however, were there any common features that people suggested that would make traveling in an autonomous vehicle more comfortable for them? The biggest things that people requested in terms of technology features were electronic displays for help with either communicating to an autonomous vehicle or communicating to a driver if there is one. A navigation app was something that people also really wanted to see in these vehicles. And then ramps and wheelchair access. 
because we interviewed people with physical disabilities, we did have a lot of wheelchair users. And because of the places that we sent these surveys, that also increased the number of wheelchair users. And certainly a lot of vehicles don't come pre-equipped with wheelchair access. And then in terms of safety, people really wanted to see uh, fully developed autonomous vehicle lanes, which is something that other research groups at Michigan State are working on. Essentially a lane that can communicate back to the vehicle in hopes of improving the safety, both for the vehicle, the people in the vehicle, and pedestrians that may be outside of it. It's really cool that this is in development right now. I know this is not your particular focus area, but I'm really curious about a lane that can communicate with a vehicle. Theoretically, do you have any idea about how this works? Like, is it with Wi-Fi or sensors or something? To my knowledge, what's being worked on at MSU, it would be something like a sensor, um, maybe Bluetooth that can connect to the car. And essentially, it would help the car in doing things like recognizing exactly where the lane is recognizing if there's a car in the lane next to it. You know, there's a lot of smart technology that's being developed that can communicate with all other kinds of technology. And so way down the line, we may have autonomous vehicles that are able to communicate with each other. But the start of that, obviously, is having the lanes that they're driven in be specifically for these vehicles and be tailored to help improve the safety by giving things like lane markers. Speaking of accessibility of transport, I remember early on that you had mentioned that in your survey, you had asked the participants, what do they need to make transport accessible for them? What were some of the answers that they gave you in the survey for this question? We were actually asking specifically about obstacles with transportation, with the idea that, you know, if we can identify these obstacles, those are most likely the things that they would need to be fixed first. And so surprisingly, actually, One of the greatest issues that people had was with the time it took to travel or the time that it took to arrange the travel, especially if you're using a paratransit service, which is almost like an Uber in that you have to schedule it and it comes directly to your location and can drop you off at a specific location. Planning a paratransit pickup or drop off can take a lot of time. And if there are other people on your route, Sometimes a trip to the doctor's office that might only take 30 minutes can suddenly end up taking an hour and a half. And so that was one of the things that people really identified as a big obstacle. They also said that cost was a big issue, either due to having to schedule a bunch of private rides with Uber or Lyft or similar services, or the fact that they had to make modifications to their own vehicle. Some of our participants almost 10% were spending over $200 a month just on transport, including gas, modifications to their vehicle, public transportation tickets, and things like that. It is nice that they can call and schedule private rides so that they can make it to their doctor's appointments. They have different options where they can drive themselves, a family or friend can take them, or these paratransit services can provide the transportation to them. In your survey, did you ask what people perceived as the safest option for travel? We did have a question specifically about how they perceived the safety of autonomous vehicles relative to a regular car. So the question was phrased, how would you rate the safety of an autonomous vehicle as compared to a regular driven car? And so we split this up by disability type and also by age group. And surprisingly, most of our respondents said that they thought 
autonomous vehicles had the same safety as a regular car or were more safe than a regular car. And this is true across disability types and probably most surprisingly across age. We didn't have too many older respondents, but generally, no matter the age, people thought that autonomous vehicles were pretty safe. It's clear that you gained a comprehensive data set from this survey. I think it's also important to remind our audience that quantitative data can be pulled from these surveys to produce real-world conclusions backed by robust techniques. In your case, how did you analyze the data from your survey? We looked at this data mostly descriptively, but we broke it down by percentage. Essentially, we looked at the questions we answered and figured out what percent of people had a certain answer. And then we also, as I mentioned before, broke it into age group and disability type. For example, we know that a little under 50% of people with hearing or visual disability thought that autonomous vehicles had the same safety as a regular vehicle. So we haven't done any statistical analysis on this data because we primarily wanted to get a feel for people's thoughts, people's issues with transportation, and use this more as a descriptive starting point to hopefully what will be a much more intensive research. It seems to me that you have a lot of good data that you've already analyzed. What do you plan to do now with the results that you've obtained? Are you going to share it with a company or will you create more surveys to follow up with these participants? So this survey was actually done in collaboration with two other professors at MSU. So Dr. Cotton in the College of Communication Arts and Sciences and Dr. Kwu in the School of Planning, Design and Construction. And so certainly part of this will be giving data to them to look at in their respective fields. We're also working towards publishing this data so that hopefully other researchers can be inspired by it. But I can imagine that down the line, we will have another survey. We may look specifically at factors like age. Typically, people who are older have higher rates of disability. Or we may go back and interview some of the participants that we already had a survey for to get more specific and personal ideas of their issues with transportation and their thoughts on some of the solutions. Collaboration is a major part of Michigan State's research enterprise. It's great that you have the opportunity to work with these faculty in different fields. In regards to your survey, was there any information that was documented that you found surprising? In our short answer section, there were actually a a couple of responses that surprised me. Few in particular that stood out were people who were either waiting for public transportation or who had called some sort of taxi or rideshare service. And when the driver arrived, they refused to take them. There was one person who had a guide dog and the driver refused. There was one person who was in a wheelchair and the driver refused simply because the drivers thought it was too difficult to deal with somebody who had an assistive device for their disability. And that was really shocking to me because I guess as part of my research, I really see all of these people as just people and they do need some adaptive technology to help them out. But, you know, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be picked up on the side of the road because somebody doesn't want to take the extra few minutes that it may take to fold up their wheelchair or get a dog into the car. That's quite infuriating, Paige. You're right. All of these people are people and they should be treated that way. I could see that people would be trying to use these different rideshare services so that they could save time instead of waiting so long to go on a paratransit service and then, like you were saying, maybe have to do a few stops along the way that they might not want to do. 
but unfortunately, they might not have any other choice than using these paratransit services. Did any of your questions address their experience with these paratransit services? We did have a question more generally about paratransit service, and we asked them to rate the acceptability of the paratransit service in their area. So some of it is location specific, but overall people said that their paratransit was usually acceptable. It was about 50-50 on people who said that it was rarely or only occasionally acceptable versus people who said it was usually or always acceptable. So even these services that are tailored for individuals with disabilities aren't necessarily as good as they need to be, especially in more rural areas or areas that don't have widely available public transportation. It honestly made me really upset hearing these experiences that people had just because they had a disability. What are things that people can do to advocate for the needs of people with disabilities to help improve their lives? Certainly, I think the best thing that anyone can do really is if you see something, say something. It seems really benign, but if you see a driver refuse somebody's service, maybe you can report that driver. If you're feeling particularly generous, you could offer a ride to a friend who might have a disability and doesn't have any other way to get where they're going. But I think most importantly, just keep in mind that they are people. 12% of Americans have reported having a disability. That's a very large number of people, and they're people just like the rest of us. They deserve the same things that the rest of us do. So certainly if you can speak up for them when they may not be able to speak up for themselves, I would say that's the best that you can do. Yeah, I believe it. Though many people may think that 12% is a little, it really is a lot. And there are a lot of people with invisible disabilities that many people may not realize it. Someone can be in a lot of chronic pain right in front of you and you would have no idea. I'm really enthralled by your research. I'm curious, what motivated you to get into this research and what do you want to do after you get your degree? Part of what motivated me for this research is actually an interest in prosthetics, which isn't probably what you'd expect. But one of the things that I've gained from helping to execute this survey is a little more perspective. I really didn't think too much about how individuals with disabilities got around. And obviously, somebody who has lost a limb is physically disabled. And while it might not be quite as difficult as a wheelchair, this is certainly something that could affect them. And so after I complete my undergrad, I am hoping to go to graduate school and hoping to work more with device design and accessibility and certainly continue working with individuals with physical disabilities. Thanks for doing this research. While I haven't been affected by a disability, I recognize that this group of people have been treated poorly for ages now. Thank you for joining Chelsea and I this morning to talk to us about your research, and good luck with the rest of your degree. The sci Files is hosted by Chelsea Voodoo and Dan Puentes on Impact 89FM. Thank you to our news director, Taylor Halterman, program director, Amber Konutsky, station manager, Joe Dandrin, and general manager, Jeremy Whiting. The SciFiles can be found online on SciFiles.org and on your favorite podcast directory. If you're an MSU student and want to be featured on SciFiles, or if you have any questions, you can contact us at SciFiles at impact9fm.org. Thanks for listening, and remember, the truth is in the science. <laughs>